Father God, thank you once again, Lord, for all that you have done in our lives, Lord. And truly, as we come to um, study your word, we ask that Holy Spirit, you'll come upon this, that you will speak to us, you will teach us, and you will show us, Lord. You will convict us also of areas that we need to change and areas that we need to align uh, with you. And we thank you that it's by your grace that you enable us. So lead me, Lord, and lead my brothers and sisters also this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight's scripture will be Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 15. And so as you are getting to your Bibles or to your um, Bible apps, I believe tonight's message to me is very straightforward. I've looked at the text and I realized that this message is something perhaps we would be familiar with. And so I'm going to come by way of a reminder. I'm going to go deeper in a few uh, points. And I pray that you will allow the Spirit to speak to us as His church. And like Jesus says, you know, let those who have ear, let Him hear. So as we look at these verses, let me read this to you first. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. These three verses describe um, an incident or happening for Joseph again, and we are introduced once more to this man. We've already established that Joseph was like an unknown, right? Uh, he's a simple carpenter. He was minding his own business, literally, his own carpenter business. And he's like an occupus, almost unknown, and yet the Bible singles him out and mentions him by name. But tonight, I've entitled the message, A Wake-Up Call, because what we have just read is actually one of three wake-up calls for Joseph. This is actually the second wake-up call. I don't know why those who are named Joseph in the Bible all have dreams. So if you are Joseph, you very likely will be a dreamer. So the first wake-up call, actually, we explored it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, right? Joseph was aroused from sleep. And we know the angel of the Lord um, appeared to him and told him about Mary and about his son, Jesus. This is the second time in verses 13 and 14. And again, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And the next time, when we get further down in verses 20 and 21, once more, the angel will appear and wake him up. Um, in, a, in a form of a dream. And so the main parts of tonight's sharing or teaching will be simply to examine with some detail this wake-up call. What is this wake-up call all about? But more importantly, we want to see how it participates in God's larger kingdom agenda. You see, something I want you to remember is that every time we look at an incident or a teaching, 
or something that happens in our life, we want to see the significance in context of what God is doing in His larger, bigger picture. And that is how we align with God and with His kingdom and how we plug into the things that He is doing. Now, it doesn't stop there. Because once we see this larger picture, we will also explore what it means for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And corporately, once we understand that, then we can bring it down personally to know how it leads to our own wake-up calls. Alright, so that will be an introduction of what we will be doing this evening. And I pray, firstly, you are awake. If not, that's why we need a wake-up call. So when we look at Joseph, I see there are a few items that would characterize this or at least describe this wake-up call. Joseph is not the only one. In fact, if you go through the Bible and you see when God begins to um, invade or intervene into a certain situation, these elements are also present. And so bear with me if I should bring up another character in another message and I share these same points with you. It's not that I have run out of points. It's just that I'm showing you a pattern of how God intervenes in our situations. And if it happened for them, then in some way, personally, you can also identify these things in your own circumstance yeah? and begin to appropriate these in your journey with Him and as you want to understand this assignment that He has given to you. The first thing I realize is that God wants to get our attention. Do you realize that many times we can be very distracted? And maybe Joseph you know, had to be uh, uh, spoken to while he was asleep because that's when God can get his attention. He's not running anywhere. So we have this word, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The word behold, when you look in the Bible, is, is to call attention to something. It's like if I were to look at you and go, Yo! Hello there, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a behold. Can, can, you, can you look here? Can you look this way? Pay, pay attention. This is God getting our attention. And the most beautiful thing about God speaking to us or laying hold of our attention is that I've realized He speaks to us if He speaks or He catches our attention with things or in ways that we understand. It will be very clear to us. In other words, we don't have to try to decipher too much. He speaks our lingo. I've always said, God speaks Singlish. So if He wants to get your attention, He can speak through a dream, and some of you have received dreams. Sometimes He will give you a vision. All are capable of receiving that vision. But I don't believe all are walking in that, right? Dreams and visions. Sometimes God will use an event that is very special to you. Or God can use something that would be symbolic to you. That means something. Or He gives you a picture that only you can identify or you can decipher what actually it means. This is our God because He's a personal God and he knows the way we are wired. 
So the first thing about wake-up call is God wants to get our attention. Obviously, there's a reason for Him wanting to get our attention because He's waking you up for an assignment. He wants us to participate in something that is much larger. So first, He gets your attention. That's that wake-up call, the ding, ding, ding. The, you know, behold, yo, you know, look over here, hello. For what reason? For the reason of assignment. And here the angel then says, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Now, this is the assignment. Joseph, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to take the young child and your wife Mary, flee to Egypt. This is what you need to do. And so as you wake up, God gives you the instruction. Bring your family to Egypt, Joseph. And you realize this? The instruction usually involves people and a place. People and a place. See, our assignments will impact people. And our assignments will take place in the context of a geographic location. So sometimes God will say to you, I want you to minister to this group of people in this certain place. Or I want you to bring this group or this person to a certain place, whether geographic, physically, or spiritually, or emotionally. Can you see this? And so there's an assignment that involves people and place. For Joseph, it was very clear. The angel had to say, bring the child and the mother. You don't, in your haste, bring the child and leave the mother. Or halfway you think, oh, all right, honeymoon. You know, we got married so fast, so quickly, we need this honeymoon. So you take uh, uh, Mary and you leave the child. Oh, bad news. Both the child and the mother. And you don't get to choose where you want to go. Not Tahiti, not the Caribbeans, Egypt. See, this is how specific God can be with us. Of course, we know this is protecting the Christ child. He better be specific. He sent an angel. But for us, if it's important enough, He will send the right signals. He will give us the right instructions. And the most beautiful thing about the assignment when God gives, do you realize God also prepares the resources. I mean, Joseph would have to up and go. He wouldn't know how long it's going to be and how much it's going to cost. But it's okay. The Magi had already provided the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Hallelujah. So if God calls you on an assignment, guess what? The resources are already there. Praise the Lord. That's really encouraging for me. Not only that, go to Egypt, but I don't know anyone in Egypt. Now, if you do a, a little bit of research, the Lord knows very clearly that there's already a community, a Jewish community that has been uh, residing in Egypt. And they would be able to you know, use the, the common trade routes to get into Egypt 
meet up with people who are there that they are comfortable with, that they know, and these would already provide the support and the lodging and the care for them. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't our God great? Right? He knows exactly who is where, who needs to go where, what you need to do, how much you need, and how He's going to help you get there. So don't be afraid of receiving an assignment. Sometimes He doesn't give everything. He gives some things specific enough. And later on, as we will see, you will still need to rely on Him and you still need to trust Him. Now, as He gets our attention and He gives the assignment, I find that the next item can either come before and after an assignment. doesn't really matter, but it's really important. I call this the reason or the case for action. I mean, Lord, you want me to do something, right? Um, you treat me as a friend, right? And let's talk to one another. Is it okay? Let me know why I need to do this thing. I think that's really important. I mean, God is God. If you say, jump, I need to say how high. But God is also someone who loves us, who knows us, who relates to us and with us. That He says, you can talk to me, and I talk to Abraham as a friend, and I show Moses my secrets as well as all the prophets, right? And so if we have that privilege in Christ, in a relationship with Him, He also shares with us most of the time the reason why He tells us to do something. And so we have this verse, you need to bring your child and his mother into Egypt, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. I like to rephrase this. This presents for me, you know, the case of action presents for me the if-I-don't-respond scenario. Did you get that one? That means you have to ask yourself, if, if, I, if there's something that I need to do and I don't do it, what will be the consequence? So the angel delivers it really clearly. If you don't get up and go, Herod is seeking your son to destroy him. This is what it means, plain and simple. See, sometimes I, I, I think we, we don't realize the consequence or the, the importance of something that God is wanting us to participate in. And we can shrug our shoulders and we can push it away because we don't ask ourselves, if I don't respond, what's going to happen? What would be the consequence? What's the case for action? Why am I doing this? And there's a wonderful spiritual and symbolic lesson down here. There is a young child, a, a young Jesus, as it were. And Herod is seeking to destroy this young Jesus. Do you know that the enemy is always seeking to snuff out the Christ life in each and every one of us? Each and every one of us. And that's why the moment we want Christ to be formed in us, we begin to hit certain you know, barriers and hit certain problems. You know? And that's why we are called to support each other, encourage one another. And some of your assignments could very simply be just to call someone up, walk someone through a difficult situation because the Herods of this world and of the enemy wants to seek out this young Christ life within us and snuff it out. If only we can understand that. Because if we don't wake up and we don't move in our own lives, perhaps, or in someone else's life, then they may be affected. 
See, our assignments, it involves us, but many times, often, it is not always for us. Did you hear that? The, the, the assignments involve us, but it will always impact someone else. Examine your own walk. Examine the things that you have done. Examine the ministry that you have participated in. Is it not always for the sake of someone else? That's the kingdom way. And I look at this and I think, I said, man, how absurd, really, that, that man, Joseph, should be called upon to protect God, Jesus. Have you read this passage before and, and thought to yourself, how crazy, right? I mean, look at this. How absurd that men should be called upon to protect God. If Joseph had not moved, if he had, if he had, if he had just struck his shoulders and turned over and pulled his blanket over himself and go back to sleep and not bothered about this, this uh, angelic visitation or assignment, Guess what? Jesus, who is God and King, could very well have been killed. And I, I said, man, this, this, friends, is the privilege of our God-given kingdom assignments. I want you to, to listen to this one line. This is the privilege of our God-given kingdom assignments. Man, God is almighty. He could have... Summon a legion of angels. But no, he sends one and tells Joseph, can you please wake up, pack your bags, take your family, and get on the first bus. Camel. Uh, donkey. This is our God. And this is the privilege we have. That he invites us to participate. The next item I see is an acceptance. See, God can give an assignment. It does not necessarily mean there will be an acceptance. And I believe there are many assignments that are left on the shelf because there are many people who are either clueless or asleep to their assignments or they may have received it but promptly wished it away. But I love this man called Joseph, although he's mentioned so few times in the Bible. When he arose, he got up. There was a wake-up call, but a wake-up call would be useless if this guy did not wake up. So he rose, he, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Look at those two words, by night. This shows you that the threat of death was that close. It was that urgent. In fact, Herod's soldiers might have already been dispatched and on the way to Bethlehem. And you know, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is not very far away. That's how urgent it was. Thank God that sometimes God tells us to do things. It's not like this kind of a timing. But what if Joseph had to pray for three confirmations? Huh? What if Joseph had to wait for a visiting prophet to come lay hands on him and give a word? What if Joseph had to you know, have his afternoon tea and see how the tea leaves were aligned? No. He received an assignment, he accepted it, and he went. He was guided only by the Word of God. You see that? This is what we have to hold on to. When the Word of God comes to us and there's an assignment, 
it may be specific only for that season or that, for that distance or for that time. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. So he gets up in the night, in the dark, can't see anything. Doesn't say that there was the star of Jesus this time that guided the Magi, didn't guide Joseph anymore. In the dark. And sometimes when we move on our assignments, we move in the dark. This is crazy. But pastor, I thought you just said that God is specific. How come we move in the dark? Yes, He tells you it's specific. Now, navigate in the dark. Wow. So it's only God's Word that we have heard, that we hold on to, that we stand on in times of uncertainty even. We only have the checkpoints. We know this is what we need to do. But along the way, we might feel that we are groping in the dark. But I love this next thing, you know, that God also guides us by His presence. Imagine Joseph. Here come Mary. Come Jesus. We've got to go. It's the dark. Then he looks at Jesus. Emmanuel. I don't know where I'm going. I know it's somewhere here. I know this route we've traveled. You know, many merchants have traveled. So I guess it's something like that. I don't know where we're going. Come Mary. Come Jesus. Come Emmanuel. God is with us. And what a beautiful picture that, that Joseph gets to look at Emmanuel in his face. Friends, I tell you, our Keeper's Awakening has been at times moving in the dark. All I know is we have this assignment. All I know is that we have to help people get from one place to another. How to do it sometimes, it's in the dark. And yet, there's a Word of God that, that burns inside my heart. And I will go back to it and say, this is my singlish way of, of challenging God and His faithfulness. Singlish faith, faith says it this way. You say one, oh God. You say one, huh? I only have your Word to stand on. And I have Emmanuel, God with us. The other thing about assignments is also it can involve an anticipation. Because the angel told Joseph, you get your family to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word. Isn't it true that each time when God wants us to do something, we'll ask for the entire blueprint? Right? We'll ask for everything you know, until we, 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 we can catalog it. We want to know where, we want to know how, we want to know how much, we want to know when. The angel didn't say that. Just say, get up, go, stay there until I bring you word. Joseph must have been wondering, how long? I mean, is it a day trip? How much do I pack? What do I bring? Can I bring, do I need to bring my phone charger? You know what I mean? Is my toothpaste enough? How long? You know, when, when are we going to come back? And, and what's going to be next? Can I give you the answer? We don't know. <laughs> you see, the, the thing about an assignment is, you do your assignment and then you wait for the next one. Or God gives you something that you're clear of for this one leg of this race and then He tells you, hang on, the instructions will come next. You wait for the next, behold. 
You, next, you wait for the next wake-up call, per se, you understand? And, you know, it's like we, we don't understand and we don't know. Being on Simon with God involves waiting and watching. I mean, this is, the, this is the same thing I shared with you. When the Magi was going through the dark and looking at the star, and maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't there, and they had to wait and they had to watch and they had to move as the Lord will lead them. See, we know from the text that it was until the death of Herod, but Joseph didn't have the privilege of that information. He didn't know all these things. This was the wake-up call for, for Joseph, the second one. It involved getting his attention, receiving his assignment. He understood the case for action. It was urgent. There was an acceptance of the assignment. And after that, wait, anticipation. But do you know that this is just the introduction to a much bigger call and a much bigger assignment? I mean, this is done. Joseph, his role is but a trailer to the main movie. Because we'll see that his assignment is actually critical and integral to God's larger picture. And when he took on this assignment, his assignment was actually a part of God's prophetic move. When I looked at that one statement for myself, and even for each and every one of you seated here, it excites me because what God asks us to do with Him and for Him. It's always a part of His prophetic move. God's going to move, whether you like it or not. It's going to happen in some way. But He's asking us, will you be a part of that? And right now, right this moment, we know God is moving in these final hours. The invitation is still out there for each and every one of us. The role that you play will contribute to a larger, bigger kingdom picture. And this really, really excites me. So it's not just a wake-up call, per se. As we now move into the next verse, which is verse 15, we will see that it is also a take-out call. Joseph's wake-up call would segue or move into a take-out call. And we are told in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, that they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. Can you see this? Joseph's move as a result of that wake-up call would result in this fulfillment. Spoken by the Lord through the prophet Hosea saying, Out of Egypt, I called my son. It would result in a taking out from Egypt. Now let's look at the context of Hosea. Because this verse that Matthew quoted is taken directly from Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. Hosea was a prophet. We name them as, a, or we name him as a minor prophet, not because he is less important, it's just that. The book is shorter. The prophetic declaration was shorter in comparison to the others like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And he was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. He was commanded to marry a prostitute called Gomer. And the reason for that case for action, his assignment, how many of you would like to, uh, would like to have that assignment? Is to be an illustration of God's loving kindness and faithfulness to Israel, his people, 
who were unfaithful, idolatrous, and rebellious. Hosea's children, if you read in chapter 1, one was named Jezreel, and he was specifically to be named Jezreel because he will mark the end of Israel. There will be judgment pronounced on the house of Jehu because earlier on, he had Ahab's 70 sons killed. The second child is named Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy. I would hate to be named Lo-Ruhamah. Every time my parents call me, it will be no mercy. The third child will be called Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Terrible names. But the wife was part of Hosea's assignment. The children were part of Hosea's assignment. Talk about ministering together as a family. But you see, when, when God calls one, God calls all. You, you are related in that sense. And so you, in a way, serve together, whether directly or indirectly. The theme of Hosea is that God states his case against Israel. And judgment is pronounced, chapter 1 to 10 of Hosea. But when it starts in chapter 11, verse 1, where this verse is taken from, the tone changes. Because now Hosea looks back to the Exodus story and recounts God's faithfulness and His love. The tone changes. So when, when Matthew singles this one verse out, he had something in mind, which we will get to in a very, very short while. But this time we see Hosea recounting the story in Egypt and the Exodus. But it was no longer slavery in Egypt anymore, but he was actually prophesying that they will go under foreign rule once more, under Assyria this time. But God will deliver again, although not immediately, and Israel will be restored. That's always a prophetic voice. It's always a voice of comfort and a voice of restoration and the faithfulness of God. So we look at this and we ask ourselves as good Bible students, how was Hosea 11 verse 1 fulfilled? You read different commentaries and all of them agree on one thing. I don't think Hosea was foretelling an event. In other words, Hosea wasn't looking forward to a time where this will be specifically used. And so in that sense, this verse is not a prophetic prediction of specific events, but it is a prophetic pattern of how God interacts in His relationship with His people. Okay? And that's why when you look at prophetic literature, you find that it can be applied in situation and circumstances over and over again. The prophets look back to understand God's ways of dealing with His people. And inspired by the Holy Spirit here, they will apply it to say, look, it happened in that time, God came through for you, and God will deliver, and God will restore. In that same way, you can, in the commerce, take it to the bank. God is faithful, you see? And we see that cycle happen over and over again. This prophetic pattern of, of bondage, of deliverance, and then after that, of a call, repeated fulfillments in the Old Testament. Think about it even in our lives. It happens over and over again also, right? But the beautiful thing is that 
it can keep repeating, when does it have its ultimate, absolute fulfillment? We find it in the Messiah. Jesus, everything is about Jesus. Every fulfillment will be complete and absolute in Jesus Christ. And we believe that this is Matthew's objective as he quotes this to say, look, you know, there's something that happened before and again and again and again. But this time, Joseph, you're bringing Jesus into Egypt is not just to escape Herod. I mean, that's a good reason. But it's something bigger. You are being set up for an ultimate prophetic fulfillment in Jesus Christ. I mean, Joseph wouldn't have known any of these. But as he was obedient in his assignment, he became a part of this huge, huge kingdom fulfillment of prophecy. I created this little chart for you. And I believe Matthew's objective is also to show forth the true son and servant of God, Jesus Christ, compared with Israel, who was only a foreshadow and an example of the real deal. So we see many parallels between Israel and Jesus. And here's just a, a, um, a first exposure to it, because later on when we get into um, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and his um, delivering of the law on a mountain, we will see again Jesus identifying with Israel and as Israel, the new Israel. You notice Israel was threatened by a famine. Jesus was threatened by Herod. Israel was brought into Egypt by whom? Joseph. Jesus was brought into Egypt by Joseph. Israel was delivered out of Egypt. But Jesus, who will be the deliverer, is taken out of Egypt. For Israel, there will be a yearly recounting of the Passover. Jesus was offered once as the Passover lamb. Israel has always been referred to as God's firstborn. Jesus is God's only begotten son. Israel was taken out of Egypt and through Israel, God inaugurates the original covenant. Jesus will be taken out of Egypt because He is the one that would establish the new covenant. But once they were taken out, you notice Israel was called as God's people and they were also commissioned. And Jesus would likewise, as He comes out, be called and commissioned as God's Son also. The difference is that Israel would show up to be unfaithful and disobedient, but Jesus, faithful and obedient. You see, just through this one verse, there is a parallel that Matthew was trying to share with us. This coming out of Egypt is special. It is something that is prophetic, something that would mean something more, greater, larger as a picture for all of us. And so this is not just any old call, this take out call. We see the word out is the Greek word ek. The word call is the Greek word kaleo. And there, there are certain meanings. It's not just a call, but it's also to invite, to summon, to a point. And can I say, to a sign. 
Jesus wasn't just taken out, Israel wasn't just taken out for, for any other reason, just to save them. There was a purpose that they were called out of Egypt for. So Israel, taken out of Egypt as God's son. And look at this one passage here in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God giving instructions to Moses, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go. Now please don't stop there, because God gives the reason. Let my son go, so that he may serve me. Can you see? In other words, son, I'm going to negotiate to take you out so that you can serve me. There is a take out, but there's a call. It's not just a take out and you stop there. And this is the picture of Israel. And similarly, Jesus was also called out of Egypt to serve the Father's purposes. Can I suggest to you, this is what it means to be called God's sons and daughters. This is what it means to be God's children. We have a part to play in the Father's will and His plans. And so, as there is a take-out call for Israel as well as for Jesus, we know Hosea 11 verse 1 was fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, it also stands true for us who believe who are in Christ. This same picture that I'm sharing with you applies to us. Because if it was fulfilled in Christ, and we are in Christ, it also applies to us as the church. So if you look at this word church, the Greek word is ecclesia. The word ecclesia is a compound made up of two words, ek and kaleo. The church are people who are called out. Not just a gathering of any sort, but they come out of a larger group of people called society or community. They come together because they have a common interest, they have a common purpose, and they have a common call, as it were. This is the church. And I've repeated this many times. I said, friends, we have to define church in the context of the kingdom. If you remove the kingdom and the understanding of the kingdom from the church, then we are only a gathering. That's all it means. Ecclesia was never a Christian word. It's a Greek word. We Christianized it and think that we own it. We don't. So if you are not a gathering for the purposes of God's kingdom, then as long as you gather for golf, then you are the church of golf. As long as you gather for seafood, then you are the church of chili crab. Am I making sense to all of you? And I suggest to you that people gather without understanding why they are gathering. But the church has been called out also of a place of, of bondage and of slavery, and that is to sin. So we have been taken out of that bondage. We no longer serve sin as a master. We died with Christ, and we have been set free to serve a new master. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, 
we are called the church of the firstborn. We are God's firstborn. Amen? Each and every one of us, we are firstborn. We don't get born into our family and we become a God's grandchild or God's great-grandchild. No, we are born into God's family as God's son and God's daughter. We are His firstborn. Amen? So everything that applied to Israel that was finally fulfilled in Christ is extended to us, the church of Jesus Christ. We're not just a bunch of ex-slaves. We are a family of God. Amen? We are sons and daughters. And although we say we serve Him as servants, we have this benefit that we are sons and daughters who can willingly do the will of the Father, motivate by love and not by the law. It's a big difference. We have a takeout call. We have a takeout call. We have been taken out and there has been also a call for us. But as we look at this, we realize that the takeout call, when we are taken out, before you know it, it changes then very quickly into a sending out call. The takeout call becomes a send out call. We have not just been taken out of our sins, out of bondage, out of slavery. Now we know that we are constituted as God's kingdom, God's people, God's family, and He says, right now, we are sending you out. From a takeout call, today we have a sent-out call. See, the people of the church, and that's you and I, we are saved and we are called. Some people argue whether you are called to be saved or saved to be called, and I know that's a, a pet phrase of Dr. Neil Patterson. And this is a verse that has blessed me because he has taught from this. And it sort of stayed in my mind. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Jesus Christ who has saved us and called us. So friends, if I ask you, are you saved? Would you say yes? Yes. But don't stop there. Are you called? Yes. I've got scripture to... To back that up. Amen? And so you mustn't believe in this lie or try to push that assignment away because Jesus has saved us and He has called us with a holy calling. Not only that, we are both appointed and assigned. And so we have the story of Jesus calling the 12 disciples to Himself in Matthew chapter 10. Soon enough, by God's grace, we will get to Matthew chapter 10. He calls the disciples, and after that, He appoints them, and what does He do? He assigns them, and He sends them out. That's what the word apostle means. People who are sent. Today, we've made the apostle an office. I mean, if you're happy with that, I'm, I'm okay with that. But don't make it an office and diminish the function of an apostle. Because you and I, we are all apostolic. We've all been sent just to different places, to different people, and with different assignments. So as the church, we now have a sent-out call. You cannot camp at the take-out call. 
it's got to move to the sent out call. And so Paul understood this very well. He knew his assignment. So as he writes the book of Timothy, even the Colossians and others, he would say, look, I know my assignment. That's, I'm suffering for my assignment. But because I know my assignment, I'm willing to suffer for my assignment. Make sure you know your assignment so that as you are sent out and when you go through difficult moments and your heart is wavering, you hold on to the Word of God, the presence of God, the call of God, and you keep going on. That's your assignment. You've got to move on. He says to our keepers in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, take heed to the ministry or the assignment or the task which you have received in the Lord so that you may fulfill it. How, how much clearer can it get, you see? You know, it's like staring at us in the face. And can I disappoint you? This is a sent-out call. It is not an opt-out call. The sent-out call is there, okay? There's no such thing as an opt-out. But sadly, many people are, are choosing to opt-out. Some are not even aware of all these things. Some are asleep. And I believe that's why there's a need for a wake-up call all over again. Did I not tell you in the introduction? We're going to explore a wake-up call of Joseph that would contribute to a much bigger picture of God's kingdom called a take-out call that is finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ and doesn't stop there. It moves to a sent-out call which belongs also to all of us in the church. But because we are not aware or people are asleep, we're going to go back full circle, a prophetic pattern one more time for another wake-up call. And I believe we are in a season where God is stirring and awakening the saints. The question is, will we respond? Or will we hit the snooze button? So let me leave you some points here, some scripture that would support this. Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 14, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead. Now this is really odd because He's writing to Christians. I thought we are alive. <laughs> and yet he says, you are who are dead, awake. You need, you need a resurrection of sorts. And as you do the works and live in the way that will be pleasing unto the Lord, then Christ will give you light. And it just means that Christ's favor and pleasure will shine upon you. That's what it means. Okay? It does not mean that Jesus doesn't give you light, then you cannot, you, therefore you cannot shine. No. The context of this one verse you go back to read is very simply this. Paul says, don't you know you are light? So walk as children of light. It's already in you. Start shining. Don't wait for more light. You are already light in Christ. But as you do that, the favor and the pleasure of Christ shines upon you. Second verse in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time. Do you know what time this is? It's the final hours, friend. 
And this was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Now it is high time. Do you know what time this is? It's the last hour. And this was written 2,000 years ago. Awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I thought we were saved. How come I'm still moving towards my salvation? That should be good homework for us to think about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, thinking about and talking about the, the coming of the Lord. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. Translated, same root word, which means let us stay awake. Because if you are not awake, your eyes are closed, you cannot watch. And let us be sober. But as you are doing this, often Paul will exhort to say, walk worthy. Guys, wake up, but don't just wake up and, oh, all right, very nice. Walk worthy of your call. Well, this is, some, some people can't accept this, you understand? Oh, I cannot walk worthy, la. you know, it's by His grace. You know, Jesus is worthy, you know, but not me, la. so I, I shouldn't try to walk worthy. The moment I try, you know, you know, I take myself out of grace. No, Paul said it, walk worthy, Hello? Christ has made you worthy. So walk in such a way that shows that it was worthy and it is worthy. Of what? Of your call. You have a take-out call and a sent-out call. So Paul begs it, please, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then he goes on in chapter 4, then he says, each of us, we have been gifted by grace. Now, every part in the body, do your share. Do you have assignments? Of course we do. Do your share. Colossians 1.10 Walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. How? Be fruitful in every good work. It didn't say be busy in Christian activity. It says be fruitful. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own what? kingdom and His glory. We have kingdom assignments. But I think the strongest warning from Jesus is to the church in Sardis. So if you're reading Revelation, you must take note of this. Sardis was a wealthy and a very active church. How do I know that it's an active church? Because Jesus says, I know your works. They're doing things. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is a scary statement. I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And Jesus looks at you and says, you have a reputation of being alive, but actually you are dead. I don't think pastors like this verse very much. So are we alive or are we dead? But when Jesus comes with a record card, he only speaks the truth. Amen? They did not keep what they had received, nor what they had heard. There were few who were faithful and counted worthy. These are the words of Jesus. So he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief 
You will not know at what hour I will come against you. These are to Christians, huh, friends? Right? This is to a church. Church Christians. Believers. How will we respond to that? I really believe that there's a wake-up call. There's always that wake-up call. But God's sounding that alarm for each and every one of us. In closing, I want to share a parable. This is called the parable of the dough. Once upon a time, there was a lump of dough in a pizza restaurant. He was nicely powdered with flour, very comfortable, resting on the table, minding his own business. Suddenly, he was jolted from his slumber when a hand reached out for him. Although a little startled, it wasn't so bad as he began having the best massage of his life. In fact, it felt quite nice to be needed. Soon he was decorated, sauced, cheesed, and pickled, salami, hammed, and pineappled. Not too bad for what was once just a lump of dough. And then, just as he was getting used to this privileged treatment, everything went dark as the door of the oven slammed shut on him. Oh, and it was hot. And getting hotter by the moment, he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, take me out, take me out. But there there seemed to be no answer. And then almost as suddenly again, the door opened and he was taken out. What a relief, what a joy. And he declared, I have been delivered from the furnace of affliction. (laughs) Did someone say, delivered? Unknown to him, while he was asleep on the table, someone had called in for a takeout. That became for him a wake-up call. That led to a takeout call. And within moments, he found himself packed into a box and loaded onto the back of a motorcycle. Off he went. If this wasn't what I had in mind, the little lump turned pizza thought to himself. I'm happy with the takeout, but why am I being sent out? (laughs) Soon he arrived at a small, run-down house. He belonged to a couple and their teenage son, John. Actually, it was John's father who made the call to order a pizza. See, John's friend, Tim, had just run away from a big, huge fight with his hot-tempered father. Physically, I mean, he was hit. And so he sought refuge in John's place. It would be past 2 a.m. as Tim settled down to have his lunch and dinner. The young lad stayed the night after permission was sought from his parents. That night, he experienced the love, compassion, and care of Jesus through this humble family and the most delicious pizza he had ever had. The next morning, after both sides had the opportunity to cool down and reflect, John's father accompanied Tim back to his home. Years later, Tim became a successful entrepreneur, running a pizza chain with a heart for social concerns helping youth from broken families. So what happened to the little lump that was woken up, taken out, and sent out? Well, let's just say he fulfilled his assignment.
friends, it all began with a wake-up call for Joseph. A wake-up call that led to Jesus' own take-out call. But from the take-out call would be a sent-out call. Not just for Jesus, for all who would be willing to bear His name and declare His name. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and thank You once more for Your Word. And as we come before You, Lord, we ask You to search our hearts. Search our hearts, Lord, because we who glory and sing and dance and shout and celebrate our deliverance from sin, our being set free from bondage, our being taken out from terrible situations, have we camped there? That perhaps some of us may have missed the sent out call. Perhaps some of, some of us may have ignored that sent out call. And so I ask, Lord, search our hearts this evening, Lord. May tonight be a wake-up call of sorts for us to understand our privileged position that we even can consider participation in your kingdom's agenda. And this is an awesome, awesome privilege for us. And Lord, if you have stirred within our hearts this evening, then I pray, O oh Lord, that our ears will be open to hear the instructions that would follow. Specific instructions for different people of different giftings, of different personalities and orientations. But Lord, you will lead us, that you will guide us, you will enable us, that although there are times we feel we may be groping in the dark, your word will guide us and your presence will comfort us. And so, Father, as I ask your people this evening, I ask that you will enable them to respond in the right manner. Friends, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. Has anyone tonight received a wake-up call of sorts? And if you have, will you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I hear it, Lord. I know you're talking to me. And just quickly put it down. That's all. I see those hands. I see those hands. Is there anyone else that the Lord gently, sometimes it doesn't have to be alarm bells even. He could just nudge you in the spirit, in a still small voice to say, my son, arise. Is there anyone else who would like to just raise your hands and say, I see, I see your hands. I see your hands. Father, I pray for these, Lord, and for others who may, are still, who may be still struggling with that. Lord, this is where we say it's entirely by your grace. This is where we say, Lord, we cannot do it apart from you, Lord. This is where we declare, Lord, apart from you, Jesus, we cannot do it, Lord. We can't be fruitful. You are the vine and we are the branches. And so, Heavenly Father, as we even call this meeting to a close, don't let it end here, Lord. Let us bring this back, Lord, and declare this to others, that they may also wake up to know that they are to be sent out for you. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.